Hello, this is Duran Orenstein from bestsaxophonewebsiteever.com, bringing you what I hope to be the best saxophone podcast ever. Here's where I meet with super brilliant folks from the saxophone world who will be sharing their insights, tips, tricks, and whatnot with you to inspire you to improve your craft and have a great time doing it. Hey everyone, before I start the podcast, I just wanted to mention that there were some issues with Skype connectivity during the recording, so if you hear any strange transitions in the conversation, it's because I had to edit out a lot of those technical issues. So I just wanted to throw that out to you guys and enjoy the recording. Hello everyone, Uh, today we got something really special. We have Mr. Frank Tabiri and Definitely uh, someone that you don't want to have to take a solo after. <laughs> he's a true <laughs> he's a true MVP among musicians. Tiberi has forged a sound for himself, born out of the sacred legacy of John Coltrane. Beginning his professional music career at the tender age of thirteen, Tiberi found himself playing in Broadway orchestra pits as a woodwind doubler. In 1969, he embarked on his illustrious journey with the Woody Herman Band, where he became a featured soloist, section leader, arranger, music director, and ultimately the leader of the band in 1987, a position which he maintains to this day. At the helm of the Herman Band, Frank has steered his stellar group through a legacy of seminal performances and recordings. Capitalizing on his mastery as one of the world's foremost practitioners of John Coltrane's harmonic approach, Tiberi has crafted classic arrangements of Coltrane staples such as Giant Steps and Countdown. In addition to the Herman Band, Frank has been associated with more legendary jazz figures and can reasonably be mentioned here. Among some of the greats who've had the pleasure of working with Tiberi are Benny Goodman, Irby Green, Dizzy Gillespie, Tom Harrell, Joe Lovano, George Garzone, and many, many more. An associate professor at Berklee College of Music in Boston, he has passed down his decades of mastery and experience to students lucky enough to study with him. So, with that intro, I want to welcome you to the interview, Mr. Tiberi. Right, nice to be here. Just one correction. It's it's professor and not associate. I've been promoted. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've never, I've never changed the bio actually, but I mean, uh, I'm starting my professorship right now actually, of course, you know, with the increase in salary. Perfect. Okay, that's great. That's great. So a professor at Berkeley. No College professor. Music. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now professor. Great. So I always like to kick these things off by just asking um, how you first got involved with music. So. How did you first get involved with music? Well, I, I, at the age of eight, I played clarinet, and of course, uh, I, I was I was ready for Curtis Institute. Uh, with uh, with, you know, with a uh, we had we had sort of a lodge, an Italian lodge, where where we uh, we were we were taking lessons three times a week, and two times a week, we had we we were, we were doing classics, you know the uh, you know Aida, Cavalletto, Stacano, things like that. So that was five nights that I was really involved at the age of eight. And still going to school, and uh, you know, watching out the window, you know, all the guys playing, kicking the wick, and all that, and I had to practice. <laughs> so, right, so that's uh, so. I, so at the age of at the age of twelve, I, I was, you know, I, I was pretty much, you know, ready for the uh, classical Curtis Institute, you know, to, to to go into the go into the orchestra or so. But uh, I, I I I was distracted by by Benny Goodman. 
Mm-hmm. That's about that's about the age of ten, and of course, I mean, I I just was just, you know, just really, you know, excited, you know, of of, of one can play the clarinet that way, and I, and I transcribed that that, you know, you know, everybody does that, you know, you transcribe, you know, solos and stuff, and and uh, and of course, I mean, I had the, that uh, that inspiration, you know, that uh, that was it. And then, of course, I mean, at the age of 13, or a little, little after that, you know, I, you know, asked for, asked for a saxophone, and of course, my parents told me. What's that? Oh, nothing. I think we got a little scratchiness on the line, but uh, you're yeah, just. Okay. Yeah, you're talking okay. about your saxophone, getting started on the saxophone. Yeah, well, and the, yeah, just a, a little time after that, actually, I just uh, had a saxophone that my, my parents bought and bought me, and uh, and uh, and uh, at the age of twelve, uh, my uh, father, you know, after an accident uh, at, at the work workplace, actually, he, you know, he died, he fell down the stairs, and so I was, you know, left to uh, to uh, you know to support the family. And so, at the age of 12 and 13, then you know, I, I was doing a, I was doing a, a gig actually, you know, three three days a week, and and it was, you know, at that time it was 30 bucks a week, and uh, and of course, I mean, ironically, actually, I was singing Caledonia, and I was playing the Woodchopper's Ball, <laughs> and and here I am, you know, I'm the leader of a band, still playing in well, Caledonia. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting how. Um you know, your initial inspirations on the clarinet and saxophone were swing music, but anyone who hears you play now, your playing style is so modern. Um, how did you make the shift well, from... Well, you know, you're talking a period of 50 years and right on through. No, I just uh, followed a lot of great players, actually, at that particular time, you know, starting Coleman Hawkins, Lester Young, Charlie Parker. I mean, uh, and uh, of course, I mean, these, uh, these were all inspirational uh, musicians, you know, that... Uh, and that I was able to really get to, you know, just to acquire a lot of storage. I, I we say that, you know, storage, you know, that you'll be able to really, uh, you know, that you can apply. Okay. And uh, and that's that, that's uh, that's and of course, I mean, um, uh, you know, um, you know, just living a. We're still getting we're still getting scratches. Is that you or me or what? You know what? I don't know what it is. I think it's just. I decided to uh, join the Woody Herman Band, and, uh, and my retirement was like 200 and, uh, and 285 nights or uh, whatever, the 220 nights or so uh, uh, consecutively each evening for 20 years, and uh, that was my retirement. <laughs> Sounds relaxing. Well, it was a great, it was a great life. I mean, I look, I went all over the world. I mean, that's and uh, I probably hit every little city in. Uh, in the states over here, and it was very exciting because you know we were the we were the attraction, and uh, and of course I mean uh, we, and then I was playing, I was blown, and this is something that I wanted to do, and so I mean uh, that that was uh, that was always exciting right on through, and then of course you know uh, visiting countries um, you know was was certainly exciting too, and that's uh, and that's uh, certainly a great a great way to be able to really um, see the world. You know, in a band at that time, uh, of course. I mean, I don't know about now. It's a little problem right now, of course. But uh, but uh, at that time, we had like 400 bands, you know, that that, that were just, uh, you know, and of course, even even 400 uh, territorial bands also as well. 
So it was, uh, it was you know, very fruitful at that area, at that time, rather. Yeah. You well. Know, you well, know, so, I mean, uh, we can, uh, we, you know, we can travel by bus. We, we were doing colleges, actually, and each evening we were doing concerts and we were doing seminars. And, and uh, that's, uh, that was really great. You know, but you know you can't do that now. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I hate to end on a sour note. <laughs> oh, there's no sour note at all. So, um, can you tell us um, a little bit about the Four Brothers sound that came out of the Woody Herman band? I, I hear that term a lot, but uh, be interesting to get your take on that since you're a part of that. Well, in 1947, this is a Jimmy Droofy composition, and. Uh, and the um, and, and the, the saxophone section uh, was uh, Serge Shalop. He was a baritone player. Stan Getz and Zoot Sins and uh, Herbie uh, Herbie Stewart. Um, and prior to that, he had uh, he had an alto player. Um, well, I, say I forgot the name actually, but anyway. But these were the four brothers, uh, basically, actually. And then Al Cohen. Um, I always considered him as being the stepbrothers because, you know, he just he joined he joined the, the saxophone section a little later on. Um, when her I think it was Herbie Stewart that replaced him. Uh, anyway, that was the Four Brothers, um, and of course, I mean, they're playing uh, recording the uh, Four Brothers composition by Jimmy Jufri, and that was uh, you know, time the time that uh, that, that you know, the band you know certainly you know, became very popular. You know, because it was an exciting thing and um, something new. And, of course, I mean, uh, uh, Ralph Burns also did uh, a great arrangement that, that featured Stan Getz on, uh, on uh, early autumn. And uh, that, was an, uh, that was an encouragement, too, also, you know, for, uh, for one of the fans and people that loved, uh, loved the big band music. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that, that's about it, actually. And, of course, I mean... Uh, and then he um, he uh, you know stayed with the four with the four brothers actually, and he played the alto sax. He was mm -hmm. uh, maybe time you know he did play the, the uh, he took the, the part of the alto sax. So there was three tenors, an alto sax, and, and the baritone. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, and three trombones and five brass. He always liked the brass, so that's uh, that's what he had. So he got some great musicians right on through the period that I. Uh, well, the entire period that I've been with him, actually, it's like many, many musicians have gone in and and become, you know, uh, great artists. Uh, and uh, you know, certainly, uh, uh, you know, he's really, you know, given a lot of musicians a, a great an opportunity to, uh, you know, to be able to really, uh, you know, uh, have have them you know, give them the opportunity, you know, to to have them, you know, do what they wanted to play and. Uh, and of course, I mean, even advanced you know, to other areas like you know, other bands, other groups, uh, and, and of course, I mean, uh, they, you know, he's been, and many of the, many of the musicians that he that we got in the band, you know, were quite young, and, and, and they were just they were just really novices, actually, just to, um, and he would just to, you know give them the opportunity, and if he found that they had some talent, he would let them stay. And if he found that one didn't have talent, and he would, and uh, during those periods, actually, you can give them the you can give them the cash, and they can go right to the uh, right, right to the airport and, and go back home quickly. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was uh, you know you can pay at the counter 
at that time, actually. You can go right back home. And he, he's done that. He's uh, released a couple of musicians, actually, during my period. You know, that we're, we're not making it, actually. He was always concerned about that. Mm -hmm. he's, uh, he's, he's certainly, uh, he's, you know, he's certainly uh, you know, concerned about having a great band and having all great musicians. Mm -hmm. That's why so many great musicians really came out, I mean, uh, you know, the band. Mm-hmm. Well, um, fast forwarding a bit to um, your journey with the music of John Coltrane, I was curious to get your take on what it is about John Coltrane's music that makes it as special to you as it is. Well, he's come up. He's come out with a with a conception uh, that's the, the equal divisions of the twelve tones, and uh, and uh, that was uh, that was the thing in which you would hear when he plays when he played the countdown. And of course, he played the giant steps. And this was the thing that really excited me. Prior to that, uh, my mentor was, uh, I was, uh, was of course, I mean, I mentioned that, you know, I went through the stages of Buster uh, Young, Charlie Parker, and, um, and, and, and of course, the, the one that really was, was great was Al Cohn. And he was a very soulful player that, uh, that really got to me, and actually, was very melodic and soulful. And then, uh, and then I, and then Train came along. And of course, he was very so technical and symmetric, and that I didn't really appreciate him as much, um, and, you know, because I was into that a little more melodic and Al Cohen. Um, you know, and, and of course, being a player, you know, that's coming from the stages of the, of, um, of Shoeberry and uh, Coleman Hawkins. Uh, you know, you know, I'm sort of, you know, just referring to my age. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, at the age of 14, I was walking down 52nd Street and hearing some great players like Lucky Thompson and uh, uh, Coleman Hawkins and Dizzy Gillespie. So anyway, um, uh, he, he uh, oh yeah, then um, he came along and actually, so the one thing that really excited me was when he came out with the giant, with the giant steps. <clears throat> And of course, um, uh, it, 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 it's just I, I, I wanted to know, you know, how, how he was. I wanted to know the, the arrangement, the construction, and uh, and I, uh, I also, and then of course, I mean, at that time, uh, I um, in, in Philadelphia there was a club, you know, by the name of uh, uh, the Showboat, and, and I was I, I was uh, in Jersey at the time. Mm -hmm. I, was living, I was living in Jersey, and and. And and I um, and I uh, was really uh, just stunned, you know, of what he was doing actually, so far as his compositions were concerned, such as Countdown. And uh, and I was and so what I did is I went out and bought a great recorder, and I and I would not see him without having without having a recording. With him. And uh, and of course I recorded so many so many nights with him, and I do have them right here. And still to this day, no one no one has them at all. And, and of course we were. And John Newton, he's my agent. He's he's talking to Universal, and I don't know what they're doing. Uh, but hopefully, that someday that they'll be able to really put them out because they're really exciting. Because because the club was uh, was it didn't it didn't hold any more than about thirty people, and of course the beers were one dollar. There were no uh, cover charges. And there were no entrance fees, and and he was just in the in the center of a of an oval bar, uh, you know, with the with the great group. And he was just playing and playing. I mean, he was just, you know, 
was Zoma's experimenting on all the tunes that he was doing. And, it, and, and that's why these things are so vital and so so educational, because he was doing different things, and and, uh, and he took his time to do them because he wasn't faced with, uh, you know, with uh, you know four, five, six thousand people. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, and I and I can say one thing that he's never, he, I have never seen him come to the bar, get a drink or talk to anybody. He just went into the back and he practiced. He was a very you know, phenomenal musician actually and this is what excited me so what I did is actually keep, you know, keep listening to all the things that he's done and I've come up with a conception myself also the, uh, uh, that, um, that uh, you know, extracting from the uh, division of 12 tones and, and, uh, and this is what my entire concept is that I teach at Berkeley and uh, you know, I refer to them as the preconceived deceptive resolutions and of course, I mean, uh, I, I, I use my, I did, I, I also refer to them as deceptive inserts too, as well. And these, these are these are chords to be played before the required chord that is prescribed for you. Uh, so you can understand what I'm saying. Actually, repeat it back to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, co- chords that you insert before the intended chord. So yes, that's right. Before the pres- prescribed chord, yeah. Yeah, in voice leading, actually, so you can be able to do that. You know, pianists, pianists do that to us, so why can't we do it to, to them or, or to the, you know, to the, to the tune? Uh-huh. Yeah, so in other words, it gives you more of an opportunity to do things before the chord is provided for you. Uh-huh. So, so you can really have fun, and you can make selections of the, the, of the deceptive inserts, you know, that, that I particularly use. Mm-hmm. And I have a... I have a set pattern, of course, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it definitely sounds like it's coming out of the whole giant steps concept where you have that... Uh... Yeah, it's extracting from the, from the division of the 12 tones. Yes, it is. I mean, uh, uh, that, that's, uh, you know, you, I'm, I'm focusing that area right there. Oh. You know, yeah, it is. I mean, rather than to play eight... I mean, if you know what countdown is, countdown, you, you, it's like eight bars and you can, you can do the sequence. But now, in this case, uh, how can you do eight bars when you have something that, that's given to you in, in two bars? Mm-hmm. So, therefore, yeah, so therefore, so therefore, I've uh, you know sort of brought it down to uh, to uh, you know extracting uh, you know, little deceptive inserts, you know, and so this way they can be able to have more fun, you mm-hmm. know, rather than rather than to be consonant and do patterns. Now, patterns are very uh, very redundant. You know, mm-hmm. and, I mean, uh, I mean, you can play patterns, but I mean, you can sound the same all time. You know, just uh, and these these things in voice leading, you can play different things all the time, actually, and you and you never repeat yourself. So that's the most that's the most important thing of just having fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's nice because a lot of the sax players, it, it's easy to fall into a place where you're harmonically pretty simple because we're not. Well, I call that the infection. You know, somebody comes out with a little pattern in New York, and and everybody grabs it, and, and everybody sounds the same. And that that's that that's that and I refer to that as the plague. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, well. That's really cool that you're uh, that you've come out so with your own system. That's quite different, actually. And just uh, look, I had I had. Seven new pupils, Japanese and everything, yesterday. These are the beginning pupils. 
and they're so excited, excited, thank you to uh, to uh, to, uh, to just receive the initial concept of what I've just given to start out, and I and I and I do this in in, in you know in little you know continuity actually, and just you know, and I also have tunes that they can really provide and apply uh, the concept actually, and so I you know I can be able to do that to, for a period of two or three weeks until they receive the entire concept, and then what I do is I. As I do, and I, I, I apply it on tunes, and I burn, I burn tunes on the CD, and I don't play piano for them. I, 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 I uh, play with them, and I also do printouts, and then I can tell them exactly what I do on the printouts too, also as well. So mm-hmm. there, there, I mean, there's, that certainly is a depth of, uh, of being able to really teach his, his, his students. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, it doesn't go, it doesn't go any further than that. <laughs> Well, speaking of working with students, um, when what would you say is the number one thing that most of the student musicians coming through uh, Berkeley are in need of improving? What's the biggest uh, area of musicians' development, uh, student musicians' development that you um, see as lacking? Well, the, the thing is, you know, there are there are you know the faculty teachers, you know that. That are able to really, uh, you know, teach uh, and be very consonant, and uh, and the, the the things the things that what they what they what they like to uh, to get from me actually is something a little different, and and of course I mean this is what they really look for, and to be able to um, to to uh, to, to uh, you know receive uh, you know concepts you know from from different teachers and. Uh, and th- and I I think that that is a particular thing that reason that, that they come over there actually, you know, for it because if they want to be proficient, uh, 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 profi- uh, performing students, uh, that's that's uh, that, you know certainly they they would be you know fairly interested in doing something different than just you know being themselves and, and just uh, you know uh, being able to really you know instead of um, you know as I said before. Uh, um, you know, duplicating uh, other musicians, they like to be themselves, and and of course, I mean, this is the, this is the opportunity that we we, that we give them. Um, you know, and uh, there are other other such as George Garzon. He uh, has a he has a concept also as well. Dino Gamboni, he has a concept, and and you know, we all have different concepts, and this is what they this is what they uh, they look for, and and they have the opportunity to select their teachers, and then when they do come over here. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's that's particularly what they would you know and they they hear from others uh, you know uh, that have that have gone through us actually and you know that have that have uh, taught that have been taught you know through through us to, as to whether or not and this is what they want and, and and of course a lot of them sign up you know with you mm-hmm. usually what happens excellent and that's what they look they look for something something a little different than what they've been doing and mm. of course. And, and I've, I've had, and these students yesterday were so delighted, you know, that, uh, that they're, they're receiving something that, uh, that that they've not really known. And so that's particularly a thing that uh, that I'm gratified. <laughs> well, that's yeah, that is really exciting as a jazz musician because the the whole point of jazz is to express yourself as an individual. Exactly. Exactly right. I mean, you know, why should they mimic or, or, or transcribe other, other? And, uh, and you know, as I say, I refer to that as the, uh, the infection. They they want to be themselves. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of originality, can you talk a little bit about your approach to tone production on the saxophone? Well, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a very personal thing, actually. You know, I don't really just stress too much on that. Uh, maybe perhaps, you know, I might, you know, you know suggest some mouthpieces and some reeds. Um, you know, but basically, that 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 is the thing in which, in which it's a very personal thing. There's uh, there's you now I, you know, whatever I play, I play um, mouthpiece that I've uh, that I've uh, constructed myself. I bought a blank and I constructed it and I and I play on that. Now, of course, it's a, it's it's not it's not the ones you know it's it's not as as a it's a metal, and many of them come in you know with hard rubber. And as I, and this is uh, this is one that, that that's a personal uh, thing that you know particularly actually that uh, whatever the sound that they like. So I don't really dwell that you know get into that area too much. I might make some corrections here and there so far as the amateur is concerned, uh, and so far as the tone tone is concerned. There's one particular thing that I do mention as to be able to really good get a good sound, and that is this uh, this is one thing that I learned from my. And my bassoon uh, uh, teacher, because you know I do play the bassoon, um, and Sal Schoenbach of the Philadelphia Orchestra. I studied with him, and he told me uh, he told me uh, that that one particular thing that uh, that if you're playing and then you and you receive this this uh, this overinflation, it's called. Uh, it's a um, it, it, it's it, it's when you're playing and you. And you're start, you, you want to release the air. You want to you, you start you start get the, get, getting that shivering feeling. Um, he's, um, he's he said there's only there's one thing to do actually. So when you when you take a breath and you and you do and you do play a phrase that you should blow out your air. You should blow the air that's left into you because it's bad air because the oxygen has been burned out. So basically, it's like it's like if you were to um, if you were to be in the water, and you know you're. And uh, the only reason why you come up for, for air is because your oxygen is burned out, and that's the same with playing the, playing the sax or any kind of a wind instrument. I mean, when you take your breath, you take a breath of air and you play, uh, you're not using all your air. You're burning your oxygen out. And so what you must 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 do is actually release the air. That's all bad air, and you're just taking another 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 clean breath, and you're just full with oxygen. You, you can be able to really. Play without without receiving that overinflation. Um, uh, that's that's the thing that I always that's one thing that I do say. And also, also clicking your throat and, 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 and opening your throat. Obviously, that's that's a thing in which uh, um, should be should be of a concern. And now some uh, don't have to really do that because of their I suppose you know, their their anatomy or or usually the tall. Uh, tall musicians, um, you know, do have an open throat, so they might have, have not have a problem. But, but in ca in the case of uh, of uh, being someone like me, and usually I'm, I'm concerned about having my throat open, and I do click it. To uh, you know, when I click it, I get I get this I get this resonance, and if you can hear the sound, like it's re it's resonating right now. And mm. That's when I that's when I can that's when I'm I'm speaking from my diaphragm. But as I speak, and, and, and I'm talking to you without my diaphragm, it's, it's uh, pretty shrivelly, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, but now if, if, I'm, if I speak from my diaphragm, now everything, everything is a little more depth and, and it's ringing. But, I mean, that's the way I play. Uh -huh. I, I, don't, I don't usually speak that way. 
speak through my nose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've never heard um, the concept about uh, pushing, you know, the bad Oh, air. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, every time you play a phrase, actually, you should really just release it. And it's kind of it's sort of the second nature. You know, you can just, uh, it just comes right out and just, uh, and you can just take a breath of air and, uh, and, and you'll, and you're able to really get the amount of air in your in your diaphragm to be able to handle, and you're not going to be. If you don't release that air, you take a breath. You're going to have more and more air in your diaphragm, which is bad, and that is, creates the shivering, the shivering uh, the sensation that you usually get, and you want to release the air while you're playing. Uh huh. Well, uh, as far as you know your technique i'm curious how how that's evolved because anyone who hears you play it's clear that you really are able to get around your horn technically so i'm wondering if you could share just a few things you did to develop your technique on the instrument well uh yeah sure i mean uh, there are handouts that i that i can give to uh, to the students uh, and they they uh, consist of of the degrees and uh, that you you know the, all, all of the all degrees of the, uh, of, the of the tonality, uh, um, and of course I mean the the, uh, um, the things you know, there are particular particular devices you know that I give them actually so far as um, so far as minor sevens the uh, flat fives uh, these are these are chords that uh, that are a little more difficult to play on. I can give them devices, you know, that would be much easier and consolidate to dominance. And also major seven flat fives, also another another chord, which uh, I always refer to the Joe Henderson, uh, the inner urge. I mean, there's eight bars of minor seven flat five, and what do you do? And there's eight bars of major seven flat five, and what do you do? And so I give I give them devices in which would consolidate into a uh, to a dominant, so it's much easier for them to play. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot more that they can play, I'd say. Not easier is, is not the word. A lot more that they can play, actually. I consolidate everything to dominance, actually, because music and motion, that's it. I mean, if you get one, uh, if you get one tonic and you're playing notes, it's a dominant chord. You're doing mm -hmm. music. So, so that's, that's consolidating to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, to dominance, of course. So when you say devices, do you mean just like patterns that you write out? No, no, the devices is that you, the minor seven flat fives, you know, should be regarded as the Locrians. And so actually a major third below is a dominant. So why why think about a minor seven flat five? You just think differently and it's a dominant. I mean, that's a device. Ah, okay. That's a device. That's the best, yeah. Okay. Well, what are you yourself practicing the most these days? Well, um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm practicing. Um, I'm practicing the 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 um, the, the, uh, the inserts. You know, the 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 the, uh, the, the inserts. You know that I usually that I mentioned before. Actually, just the the deceptive inserts. And of chords, the chords that I can play before. In other words, it would be like a two-five-one. I'm sorry, like a two-five, and in between I would put the I would put the uh, the, uh, the set of inserts. Actually. So 
in voice leading. And this is really what, what I what I play when I practice. Mm-hmm. You know, keep doing that actually. So I mean, uh, uh, that's uh, it, 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 you know, certainly I'd have to go into a little detail in the way you know, as I uh, referring to my concept. Um, but that's what I usually do actually. So I mean, I just continually do that and. Uh, and of course, I mean, uh, the whole tones are, are most important. If you're, you, know, you can be able to play major third above and major third above. It's in you know, the two whole tones before a prescribed chord. And if you can do, uh, if you can select notes and and be able to really arrive to the chord that's that's prescribed for you, and uh, this is uh, this is a thing in which I, you know, tell students to do. Mm-hmm. The whole the whole tones are are, are, are just the most important. Uh, things that you can be able to have fun with, actually, and you can be able to use as, as, as deceptive inserts. Oh, yeah. Combining the uh, the whole you're you're talking about the whole tones or yeah, the whole tones. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, if you if you if you if you just were to if you just were to uh, if you want to go to to a C seven, you have a e, you have an E seven, you have a G sharp. If you play G sharp E seven, you go to the G seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, this is, uh, and, and you can play around with those two chords above the C seventh. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know that might make might sound a little hard for you, but uh, or for anybody actually. But it certainly is easy. It's the um, it's the it's the thinking of it and practicing it actually that's the most important. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome stuff. Very cool. So stepping back into the big picture a bit. Um, I was curious to know, out of your many, many musical experiences, are there any that stick out for you as being particularly memorable? Any experiences over the course of your career? Uh, probably a hell of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, uh, well, geez, you know, just, uh, what can I say? I don't know, just the, the one particular thing that I'm, that I'm, you know, really... Uh, as you say, that I was that I was really satisfied in in in, 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 in doing actually in performing was the bassoon uh, solo on the Daphnis and Chloe, the one that uh, Alan Broadbent wrote, and that uh, it was uh, featured uh, Greg Greg Herbert on the saxophone playing comes out of the morning, and he inserted me um, on the bassoon playing Daphnis and Chloe. Uh, uh, Revel, Revel's, Revel's Davis and Chloe, right? Okay, mm-hmm. and I played that actually. That was uh, that was one of the most you know exciting things that I've ever really done. And uh, and, and of course, I mean, if you hear it, I think uh, I think you will agree. <laughs> Can I say yes. uh, that was a that was a great moment actually uh, to be able to do that. And of course, it's on it's on a it's on a vinyl right now. You can hear it. And, uh, um, unfortunately, uh, you know that, that you know it hasn't really you know, been uh, digitized actually, so it's not on CD. Uh-huh. That was uh, that was probably, I don't know. There, are so many other things actually. Even the playing with Dizzy Gillespie, that was really a fine thing actually. You know, so you know, doing a doing a club date with Dizzy Gillespie was great. That was that was that was a big highlight actually. You know, we, we 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 did we backed up Dizzy. Dizzy was on the band. We backed him up. Actually, he, he was, you know, invited as a soloist. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, th- these were like great moments. You know, I, I, I sit over here and, and, and I'm trying to really 
quite hard for me to think of all the all the great moments that I really did have. Uh, but I mean, these you know these came you know came to mind quickly right now. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, uh, the, uh, even even the, even doing the Tiberian movie, uh, the the TV that I did with Joe Lovano and George Garzon, that was an exciting moment. And these were three guys. I mean. Uh, you know, I, I've been, I've gone to Europe. I mean, with with uh, with, with George Garzon and Dave Liebman, we did we we, we did a concert in, in in Italy. That was exciting. The three of us actually, you know, just to, uh, was you know, sort of a summit, right? Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, uh, I mean, there were, I don't know, there was just uh, oh well, the most, and then another exciting one was playing with Benny Goodman. I mean, with the with the with the sextet. With Ruby Brass and and um, oh, a guitar player, I forgot his name. What was the blank? Anyway, light a light skinned black cat. Um, anyway, um, uh, that was exciting playing with just on the side with Benny Goodman. I mean, this is like all the all the years that I, you know, the age of ten, you know, listening to them. Here I am playing with them, mm -hmm. and also with in his band, you know, playing in his band also as well. Mm -hmm. so that was. A, exciting so i mean how many how many things can i really think of <laughs> no that's good that's good it's uh it gives me kind of more of a sense of uh your oh, career yeah i mean they, they're just like coming up i don't know <clears throat> you yeah. know i you know you, you're talking about 25 you're talking about 20 20 years plus since 87 as a, as a band leader you're talking might took them 35 years you know with the band playing constantly like jazz all over the world, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of big moments that I've had. Other ones, well, the other, the other moments actually was. I mean, if you, if you did go into YouTube and you Google uh, my name with uh, with Joe, with Joe Lovano, there, there was a, there was a giant step that we played uh, in Europe, and uh, we 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 uh, we continued to play the tag for about two or three minutes and. And it was that was an exciting thing, and you can hear that actually, which is uh, and that was a real great moment. And, uh, and even right now that I listen to it and see it, it's on the YouTube. Mm -hmm. And of course, even uh, uh, the YouTube, the, 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 we just we just uh, inserted actually just uh, the, the Frank Cabiri leading the Woody Herman band. These are, these are more recent things actually. Cool. Uh, the other, it's Woody Herman there with him as a leader, and me with, with you know playing in the sax section. But this is uh, this is me leading the band, you know, doing doing giant steps and uh, and uh, a few other compositions too, also as well. Excellent. Yeah. So, yeah. well, we're pretty much out of time. But the last thing I wanted to leave people with was. Um, huh? What would you say to sax players looking to go into music professionally? Do you have any advice? Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, it's a pretty hard time now today, actually, you know, so far as gigs are concerned. But I think that the most thing to do is, is, to, is, to, uh, is to be involved with, uh, with being able to really uh, do you know, playing compositions and, 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 of course, I mean, trying to establish themselves, you know, as a jazz player. And, and you know, being unique, and being very personal, I think, and that would that would get them along. But you know, a lot of study, of course. I mean, that's uh, because there are so many great musicians right now. You know, that and also students. I mean, I, you know, I have scholarship students over here that are 
they're not paying the diamond. They're they're and you, they've got to be excellent because you know they've got full scholarships. Mm-hmm. And, and and I got my goodness, you know that that that's that, that's the thing. And it's you know the I mean I'm, you're talking about these 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 kids are like 20 years old, 18, 20, and 21 or so. You know they're and they got full scholarships and they're really great players. I mean they haven't really gone off on their own. Uh, but I mean, they're, you know, they, they've established themselves anyway, you know, and they and they're very constant form. And as I say, I mean, if they're, you know, you know, and, and I have one one clarinet player, Felix. He's uh, he's quite remarkable, you know. He's um, and he's a clarinetist actually. You know, not really too many clarinetists, but the the, the students that are in the that come to Berkeley. Um, Felix Pikelick or so. Anyway, you want you want to hear about him? He's uh, He's uh, pretty pretty good. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, uh, you know. Uh, there, there's a lot that that are, that are, you know, a lot of musicians, you know, that have come through scholarships. You know, that, um, they provided scholarships for them actually, but you know, they got to be great. So, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, if you if you look down the line, I mean, you take like Joe Lovano's and stuff and all that. You know they've gone through Berkeley. Alan Broadbent, uh, Berkeley has, has been a great college for for, uh, for nurturing musicians you know, and, and getting them off on their uh, on their uh, journey. <laughs> hmm Yeah, it's definitely known for that. Oh so, yeah. Well, um, thank you so much. Um, I've gotten so much out of getting to talk to you. I'm gonna end the recording by just yeah. uh, thanking you and. Uh, Here we go with Body and Soul from Tiberian Mode.
Thank <laughs> you. 